0: You're listening to sermon audio from Gospelite Baptist Church. For more resources or to donate to this ministry, please visit gospelite.org. I'm looking forward to introducing a new sermon series. I'm going to do it more formally in about seven minutes in the message. But can I talk to you for a moment about what I'm going to call the series of messages that will help us to understand the core value that we're going to discuss in April. And that is this, dinners with Jesus we're going to be discussing this concept of Jesus who, 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 who found it important to sit down and have a meal with people. And, and there's something about the, the, the Gospels, especially the Gospel of Luke, that give us so many different accounts of, of this idea that Jesus came to, to eat and to drink. And so I want to introduce that to you this morning with this title, Guess Who's Coming to Dinner? And I want to dive into the text. This is an introductory message. It's not all over the place. It's very specific in a few moments. But if you would stay with me as we dive into a text in Ephesians 2 to introduce the series as well as an introduction, I think by the end you'll see clearly where we're going to be going through the month of April as we talk about dinners with our Savior. You know, beginning in 1961, the East Germans began construction on what was called the Berlin Wall. This wall was a wall that was built to keep people from fleeing from East Germany to West Germany. And so in 1987, there was a famous speech made by Ronald Reagan. Some of you that are connected well to history will remember this. If you're in school, maybe you've read about this. But he made this famous speech right in front of the Berlin Wall where he uttered what has become... These famous words. How many of you have heard that speech before, that line before, Mr. Gorbachev, tear down these walls? Raise your hand one more time if you've heard that. All right, lots of you have. If you seek peace, our text in just a moment has a lot to say about seeking peace and tearing down walls. A little over two years later, on November the 9th, 1989, the fall of the Berlin Wall began... And by October 1990, not only was the demolition of the wall completely finished, but the two Germany's that had been separated had now become one nation. It's human nature to build walls. The most famous wall in the world is called the Great Wall of China. Kevin and Paul O'Connor were missionaries to China. I'm sure. Uh, you took many groups to see that, some portion of that great wall. I've got a few pictures on the screen. It's, it was the longest feat of human engineering with a total length of 13,170 miles. The distance of half the length of the equator, a wall built to keep out intruders. The average length of the wall was 20 to 23 feet. The highest point of the wall was 46 feet. The wall was 2,700 years old, and parts of the wall now obviously do not exist. One million laborers labored to build that wall, and over 50 million visitors come every year to look at that wall. And even when we build walls, sometimes we build them for our good. Houses, we build interior walls, exterior walls, right? We build walls sometimes around our houses called gates or fences, And when we build walls, we build them for several kinds of reasons. But there's one thing that all walls have in common, and that is they cause separation. Sometimes that separation is a good thing. Sometimes there's positive reasons to build a wall, but other times it's harmful. In the cases where building a wall is harmful, those walls need to be torn down. This morning, I bring to you a text that shouts, Jesus came to tear down walls. And a lot of what we call peace in our world today is just deferred conflict. It's like just a time out before the chaos. It's Just deferred conflict. We, we call it peace. But it really isn't peace because Jesus isn't in the middle of it. There's no peace without Christ. Notice Ephesians chapter 2, beginning in verse number 11, as again we introduce this theme. Remember, he says, that at one time, you Gentiles in the flesh, called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember that you were at one time separated from Christ. You were alienated from the commonwealth of Israel. You were strangers of the covenant of promise having no hope without God in this world. But now, you were that, but now you're in Christ. You were once far off, but you've been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has, here it is church, listen, broken down the wall of hostility. As Paul was speaking here to the church at Ephesus, they would have understood that dividing wall to be the wall that would have divided the Gentiles, the wall of partition in the Gentile court, a wall that was built that would keep the Gentiles out of the temple. But Jesus came to tear down those walls. He himself is our peace. We see in this text there's four truths laid out beautifully by God in the passage about peace. First of all, it's that Jesus isn't a peace Keeper, he is a peacemaker. Jesus is in the business of manufacturing peace, of building peace, of making, of, of, of making peace. He is our peace. Notice, secondly, that not only is Jesus a peacemaker, but he's also peace, period. I mean, he is peace. He's the source of all peace. Notice, for he himself is our peace. Peace can only happen with Jesus, Other than that, it's just delayed chaos. It's just delayed devastation. It's just something we're talking about. Without Christ, there is no peace. Any effort we make to try to make peace with someone without Jesus Christ being the center of it, it's going to fail. He is peace. Think with me for just a moment. In the text, he made peace. Look at the next text in verse 15 By abolishing the law of commandments Expressed in ordinances That he might create in himself One new man in place of the two So making peace Manufacturing peace Creating peace If you will, inventing peace That he might reconcile us both to God In one body And here's how he does it Through the cross Killing the hostility How did Christ do that? What was the process he went through? The process that we must understand is is this, that Jesus manufactured peace at the cross. At the cross, at the cross, where I first saw the light and the burden of my heart rolled away, it was there by grace I received my sight. And now I have peace. I'm happy all the day. It all began at the cross. And notice also in the text, he preached peace. Look at Ephesians chapter 2, verse 17 and verse 18. He came and preached the peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. For through him we have both access in one spirit to the Father. I, I love this. This is a wonderful text. He preached peace to those who were far away. He preached peace to those who were near. I love the fact that everybody stands on even ground when it comes to access to God. That's because he tore down the walls. He tore down the walls that that, that held us back from a vertical relationship with Jesus Christ. But he also broke down the walls that divide us horizontally in our personal relationships. That's what Jesus came to do. Tear down walls that divide us. Notice also that he's building his church as we conclude this text and start the message. Looking if you will, in verse number 19, it says, so then you are no longer strangers and aliens. You are fellow citizens with the saints. The first thought I have for you there is just this, that there's some things that God has done in our lives through the church. And we see here, first of all, that we have power as a fellow citizen. We are fellow citizens with the saints. We're no longer aliens. We have power because of God's kingdom in our lives. This is an amazing thing because church, you and I, we talk about starting this campus church or extending our church to Lake Hamilton. That's a powerful thing. There's going to be so much more done for God's kingdom because the church is advancing. We have power in that. We are fellow citizens together. Secondly, notice I have a place in the household of God. We're members of God's household. Verse 19, fellow citizens with the saints and members of God's household. We're part of the family of God. I'm so glad I'm a part of the family of God. That song, I've been washed in the fountain. I've been cleansed by the blood. I'm joint heirs with Jesus as I travel this side. The church has met my needs for relationships. I'm grateful for the relationships I have in this church. Even this week, just sitting down at lunch with different people in this church, Tuesday, I went out with John Williams, one of our church members, and just sat and talked and fellowshiped. And I, I, I was the relationship needs that I have are met oftentimes because of the lighthouse groups that I'm in, because of the fellowship that I have, the relationships in this building. We're no longer strangers. We're brought together. We're one because we're fellow citizens. We're in the household of faith, and then I have purpose in the building. Notice in verse twenty, we're built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets. Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure is joined together. It grows into a holy temple. In him, you, me, also are being built together. The church is like a building. I'm part of God's eternal purposes. I have significance because of what Jesus Christ did when he tore down the walls. He gave me purpose. So why did God break down the walls and bring people together? Here it is. And here's the core value, because people matter more than projects. God broke down the walls because people matter more. We've been learning and applying the core values of our church. And so far this year, we've covered three. One in January, another in February, and another in March. In January, we took the little letter G, God is number one in our lives. In February, we took the letter O, opportunity to grow is always before us in march we took the little letter s and said this that service with excellence is our focus and now we come to the month of april the month of april we're going to focus on that little letter p the fourth curl value people matter more than projects and what we're going to try to accomplish together to go to the next level is practice hospitality at the next level dinners with jesus guess who's coming to dinner We are no longer strangers. We can see that God is building His church. We're understanding of people's needs for community. Lighthouses are important at our church where we do life together. We welcome all people into the family of God. Notice that little statement in verse number 19 of Ephesians 2 that we are no longer strangers. It's the thought of the stranger that I want to address today as I introduce to you the lessons of this core value, people matter more than projects. Projects don't last forever. People do. And we can become a church where people matter more than projects as we learn to practice biblical hospitality. Hospitality carries with it the idea of of loving strangers. Hospitality carries with it the idea of being kind to strangers, of showing love to people that we don't know very well. I love the, diffi- the dictionary definition of hospitality. It goes like this. Receiving and entertaining strangers and guests with kindness, manifest- manifesting generosity, offering a kind reception. Some have this gift. My father-in-law and my mother-in-law had this gift in the early days of gospel life. I remember as they moved to Hot Springs and made this their home that the Yoshidas, that's their last name, the, my wife's maiden name, Yoshidas, would oftentimes have a house full of guests. And Mr. Yoshida was not bashful about inviting people he didn't know and we didn't know. They'd come to church He was kind, he was friendly, he'd smile and say, you want to come over to lunch? And when we get home, we find out just how many people he did that to. And they'd walk in the door, and the only time we'd seen them, if we'd seen them, was at church that morning. Strangers. We need to be hospitable in our churches. We need to be hospitable in our homes. Is the Bible, does the Bible say anything about this? We need to be hospitable in our jobs, hospitable in our communities. This past week, just as a result, well, two weeks ago, excuse me, as a result of, of, of knowing I was going in this direction, I, I asked a waiter who I've become really good friends with at a local restaurant, if he would go to dinner with me, and I said, I have some questions about the hospitality business, because our town is truly a town that thrives on the business of hospitality, right? We're called a town of hospitality. It's the largest, uh, you know, the, the largest business ventures in our community. The most profit comes through hospitality so we went to lunch and I began to talk with him about it I was amazed at some of the things he said regarding waiters and waitresses being trained to treat and serve and care for people and as a result of that they do it to get a what a tip it's all about the money the hospitality business is just that it's a business it's a business where you treat people kindly and you serve them and the nicer you are oftentimes the more money you get right right oftentimes we determine a percentage of giving to a waiter based on sometimes we do this based on on what we get hospitality business I'm in that a little bit I've got a little old food truck on airport road I hadn't been able to work in it much but over spring break old Jerry and I Jerry's up there doing the slides good job Jerry and I got to work together Jerry makes the pizzas and I just talk to people I love it I went out there and Old boy came up to the counter. Jerry was, it was a little bit slow at the time that this happened. It got busier. But, but the guy walked up and he said, I'll take a medium pepperoni pizza. And I said, you got it, sir. No problem, Jerry. Medium pepperoni pizza. And I'm bringing that thing up. I said, sir, by the way, that truck you've got. Oh, that's the nicest truck I think I've seen in a long time. This thing was decked out. It was nice. He said, oh, oh let me tell you about my truck. I could tell I hit a chord with him. This was his first love. I'm telling you, I mean, he went into this truck for the next five minutes. I knew where he bought it, how much he bought it for, what he put in it, how much the gas mileage was. I mean, everything about this truck. I said, is that the only truck in your, oh, no, my son's got a truck. My daughter drives a truck. My wife drives a truck. I mean, everybody drives a truck. I mean, I got the whole scoop about this guy's truck. I'm just having a time talking. Jerry's making the pizza. I'm talking to this guy. It was slow. We had a great conversation. I said, hey, your pizza's ready. I said, "I got Jerry, give me that pizza. I give him that medium pizza, $15. He puts a $20 tip in that little box. He said, man, thanks for talking to me today. He said, I really appreciate it. He goes, I always like talking about my truck. Jerry's eyes about came out of his head. As, because I don't take the tips I give him, you know. And he was the only guy working. He thought, man, I just made 20 bucks off preacher's hospitality. <laughs> hospitality works, it's a business. But that's not what I'm preaching about. We're not in the hospitality business, we're in the hospitality ministry. People matter more than pizza, people matter more than projects. I love this quote from Arnold Glassau hospitality is making others feel at home. Some folks make you feel at home and others make you wish you were. I love this. People go to the church that is dearest to them, not to the church that is nearest to them. Biblical hospitality is focused on a love for strangers. A love for strangers. That's what you and I once were. We sang a moment ago, Abba, Father, we were strangers, Jordan wrote in that song but you've made us one. You've made us a child of God. We once were strangers. How can Gospelite pursue? How can Gospelite practice hospitality and continue to be a church where people matter more than projects? I'm going to give you three ways and we'll be done. Number one, first of all, open our hearts to others willingly. Church, let's just get back to this. Open our hearts to others willingly listen to what the Bible says in Romans chapter 12 in verse number 3. It's very simple, but it says this, contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. What I love about that little text there is this, that in the King James, it says that we are to be given to hospitality. That word given is a word that we use oftentimes in our English language. Sometimes in slang, we'll, we'll hear something and we'll say, What? Well, that's a given. Oh, that's a given. LeBron's gonna score 30, right, Darian? That's a given. Yeah, right. <laughs> LeBron fans. It's a given. It's like, Of course it's gonna happen. Kind of like, Duh, it's a given. We are to be given hospitality. Duh, Gospelite's got a friendly church. Of course, they're a church. They're Christians. They're followers of Christ. They've been, they've been fellow citizens. They're a member of the household of God. They're no longer strangers. Hey, the happiest, friendliest place on earth is Gospelite. Duh, right? Where are to be given to that. We're to show hospitality. In other words, what Scripture is teaching us here is it should be natural for the child of God to be hospitable. We're to be given to it. We're to show it. This is what God's people do. I like what Eugene Patterson says in his paraphrase translation called The Message. He says, We are to be inventive in hospitality. Find creative ways to welcome people, invite people, make people feel at home. The idea is this it should be a natural part of the Christian life to be hospitable, it should be active, it should be ongoing. Our hospitality should not be limited to Christmas time, to special events, to special services, to birthdays. It is a practice. It's an attitude that we should have all the time. We are to love strangers. That means opening our hearts to them. And in an Old Testament passage I found interesting, and again, we, we never have time enough to develop all of this, and there's always more information than we have the time to give out, but I want you to notice just the wording here. It says in verse 33 that when a stranger surjoins with you in your land, you shall not do him wrong. You shall treat the stranger who surjoins with you as the native among you, and you shall love him as yourself, for you were strangers in the land of Egypt. Hospitality is allowing God to break through the prejudices. Hospitality is allowing God to break through the narrowness of our own fears. It's opening our hearts to others. It's extending ourselves beyond that which is normally accepted. It is going the extra mile. It is reaching out to others and welcoming them into your heart and oftentimes into your homes. Jesus would do this all the time. Jesus broke all the rules of hospitality of his day. I mean, listen, there were rules that you could eat this and you couldn't eat this. You could eat this place, but you couldn't eat at this place. You could eat with this person, but you better not eat with that person. Jesus broke all of those rules. The Pharisees, they would only eat with privileged people of honor. But Jesus, he ate with sinners. He ate with publicans. Jesus would eat uh, on the Sabbath day. He would eat at places that they said he shouldn't eat. In the book of Luke, Jesus records numerous times when he sat down and he had a dinner with someone. That's why in the month of April, we're going to look at some of those times where Jesus sat down and had a meal. We're going to talk about that in this series called Dinners with Jesus as we learn to practice hospitality at the next level from Jesus himself. We're going to see that people really do matter more than projects. You know, in the Gospels, there's three occasions that tell us why Jesus came. I think you'll be able to answer this. This is not a trick question, so if you know the answer, if you don't mind participating, it would help me just illustrate the point, even if it's just one person that says it. I think the most familiar passage where we see Jesus coming for a specific reason is Luke chapter 19, verse 10, where it says, Jesus came to? Thank you. He came to seek and to save. It's one that we've memorized. It's one that I've memorized. It's one that we would know more than likely or be familiar with or agree with. Jesus came to seek and to save the lost. The second passage of Scripture that we see in the Bible that speaks about why Jesus came is Mark in chapter number 10 and in verse number 45. Look at it with me on the screen. It says, For the Son of Man came not to be served but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. He came to seek and to save, and he came to serve and to sacrifice. He didn't come to be served; he came to serve and to give his life, to sacrifice his life. Seek and save, serve and sacrifice. But there's another place where the Bible tells us Jesus came to do something. It says Jesus came eating and drinking, and I just put it like this: He came to sip and sup. (laughs) Sip meaning drink, sup meaning eat. Bible says in Revelation that He'll will sup with Him and He with us. Right? Supper. We'll have dinner. We'll fellowship. Jesus came eating and drinking. Now, I do have one little addition I'd like to make as a Greek scholar. I just want you to know I've really looked deep into this. It actually says if you look close enough, he he came to eat and drink at Waffle House. You've just got to see it, church. It's there. You've got to look at it closely. Hey, Jesus would have ate at Applebee's. He would have ate at Chili's. He would have, how many Texas Roadhouse fans we got out there? I mean, he would have, he came eating. He came drinking. He sat down with sinners and publicans and people who needed relationship. He came eating and he got criticized for it. They criticized Jesus for doing this. They said, look at what he's doing. He's a glutton. He's a drunkard. He's a friend of tax collectors and sinners. That's why I think he ate at Waffle House. (laughs) Listen to Jesus talk about hospitality in Luke chapter 14. He said also to the man who invited him, when you give a dinner or a banquet, do not invite your friends or your brothers. Don't invite your relatives or rich neighbors, lest they also invite you in return and you be repaid. In other words, You invite someone to come over your house, and then what? They feel like, well, because he invited me, i got to invite them. And it's just this big social club. It's really not about the fellowship. It's just about social standing. He says, when you give a feast, when you make a meal, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed because they cannot repay you for you will be repaid at the resurrection of the just. Oh, listen to me, church. Jesus oftentimes spoke about being hospitable to people, caring for people, loving people, especially the stranger. We should practice hospitality willingly because it transforms strangers into friends. I am here today, a member of the household of God, because Jesus tore down the wall. I used to be a stranger. I was an alien. I was an outcast, but he brought me in. He adopted me into his family. I'm now a member of the household of God. I'm a child of God. But can I tell you, not just was it a vertical tearing down of all, but then I found out I've got brothers and sisters in Christ all around this world, people who have taken me in. People who took a little Roman Catholic altar boy raised in a single parent mom's home and said, hey, can I spend time with you? Can I mentor you? Can I sit down with you and pour into you and love you and care for you? There's people all over this building that need that. Children and kids and teenagers and young people. My own kids have needed that. Just somebody who is willing to be hospitable and open their hearts to others willingly. Number two. Open our hands to others joyfully. Peter is giving a series of admonitions in the first letter here in First Peter. Notice as he's giving the series of admonitions, notice what he says in verse 9. In the middle of this admonitions, he, get, he says this: Show hospitality to one another. And I find it interesting to say that he did it without grumbling. Oh no! Oh man, more dishes. Oh, man, the, the house, I just cleaned the house, right? No, no. By the way, if the house has to be cleaned before you come over, you ain't coming over. We try, but when you got as many grandkids and when your house is a Grand Central Station and when you got a special needs daughter, I'm going to tell you something right now. You just kind of give up after a while. We tried. Now when you come over our house, guess what you see? The real us. We can't hide anything. We decided if our house is a mess and you love us, it won't bother you. You'll be, oh, don't worry about it. We're your friends. We don't remember how the house was. We remember the conversation we had with you, Eric. We don't remember the color of your pillows. We don't remember the color of your dishes. We don't remember the color of the cup you gave us. What we remember is the conversation at the table. That's hospitality. That's what makes the difference. Show hospitality without grumbling. Take delight in offering hospitality. It's sad today in our society that we have bigger homes but less hospitality. We have dinner sets still in a box in the cabinet that we never use. We have barbecue pits that we've spent hundreds and thousands on because that's the thing now. And yet, we don't invite strangers over to have a, a barbecue. We build fences and gates and doors. And we have big dogs to protect our castles. But Christian homes should be welcome centers for Jesus. That's what they should be. This will not be in vain. Your hospitality will be rewarded. That's what's beautiful about this. Matthew 25, look at this. Then the king will say to those on his right, in the midst of the parable here, I'm taking as much scripture as I can in a short period of time just to feed you a little bit here, but it says, Come, you are blessed by my father. Inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you welcome. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him and say, Lord, what in the world are you talking about? When did we see you as a stranger? When did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and gave you drink, or a stranger and welcomed you, or naked and clothed you? When did we see you sick and in prison and visit you? And the king will answer them, Truly, I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these my brothers, you did it to me. We only have one life to be a giver. Only one life so soon to pass. Only what's done for Christ will last. Be a giver. Be a giver. Show hospitality. Hospitality can be such a blessing to others. You know what I'm finding out is that everybody's hurting. Doesn't matter who you talk to. Everybody in this room in some way or another is dealing with somebody who has cancer. Everybody in the building. Everybody has problems and difficulties. Nobody needs our insults. Nobody needs our slanders. Everybody has been affected by heart disease, in some way or another everybody has a heart that is heavy and everybody in this room has something you're brokenhearted about everybody that's why we need to be hospitable this past friday the storms came through hot springs and they were pretty vicious not nearly as vicious as what happened in Win and what happened in little rock it seems like it was nothing compared to that but i would say that every school had all their kids in a storm shelter we did every parent was concerned it was intense When the storms passed over, I had been given a responsibility to go to T-Mobile to get some internet for the Lake Hamilton campus. So I drove to T-Mobile on Albert Pike, and I walked in the door, and I read what Mr. Sawyer told me I needed to get for the campus, and I said, hey, I'm here to get this. And she said, oh, I've got that. And I said, great, I don't know what it is, (laughs) but I'll take it. And so she went back to the back, and she brought out this box of internet service, and she said, this is what you need. And I said, thank you. She goes, it'll just take, take me five minutes. You're going to have to sign a couple of pieces of paper, give me your credit card, and it'll all be taken care of. And I said, all right, great. That's great. Five minutes, man. Wow, that's amazing. So she got everything ready, and, and she tried to get the skew. She got her little hand thing, and she, and she goes, oh, man, I don't know. It's not showing up on my computer. Something's wrong. Let me go get another one. She got another one. Five minutes turned into 10 minutes. And that one did work. 10 minutes into 15, 15 into 20, and she had gotten the sixth spot. She goes, I don't know what's going on. She said, I, I'm going to go get my manager. She went in the back, got our manager. Her manager came out. They tried to figure it out. They thought maybe it was the storm. Maybe there was a the glitch in the computer. They didn't know. 20 minutes turned into 25, 25 into 30, 30 into 35. And, they're trying to, and the whole time, I'm so sorry, sir. I'm so sorry. This is, I can't believe you're still here. This is a very simple procedure. I said, no, it's okay. I'm good. I said, look, you know, we just had a storm pass by. Homes have been devastated. Lives have sure been changed forever. If this is the worst thing that ever happens to me, I'll be well off when the day is over. You're good. You could tell she was in shock. About 45 minutes later, they figured a way to get me out of the store with this internet service. And she looked at me and she said, sir, I don't know that I've ever had anyone treat me with as much kindness and understanding as you have. And I simply said, would you take an Easter invitation? What do you think she did? Listen, hospitality and loving people who are unlovely and being kind in situations where we, our flesh doesn't want to be kind is a game changer in our world today. It's a game changer. And we get chances to do it all the time. We need it. In our homes, with our wives, we need to be hospitable. With our children, with our friends, with our neighbors, with our workmates. Everybody needs to be shown hospitality by doing good for others. And then finally, and I'm done, open our homes to others regularly. This comes natural to some, right? Oh, yeah, so-and-so, it's easy for them. They're just, they have the gift of hospitality. I get it, and I agree, and some do. But I do also believe that all of us are called to open our homes at times to others. We have examples in Scripture of this. John tells of a man named Gaius who was a great host in John, uh, third John. He says, to the elder, the beloved Gaius, whom I love in truth. He goes on to say in verse 5 about this man. Just an example of hospitality in Scripture, like you, like me. He says, beloved, it is a faithful thing that you do in all your efforts for these brothers. Strangers as they are, who testified to your love before the church, you will do well to send them on their journey in a manner worthy of God. For they have gone out for the sake of the name, accepting nothing from the Gentiles. Therefore, we ought to support people like this. Gaius was a great host. He was Paul's host in Romans chapter 16 and verse 23. Gaius, who is a host to me and to the whole church. One of the great needs we have at Gospel Light right now is in our hospitality ministry, our first impressions, our security. We have a great need right now for people that would be willing to come to church 15 minutes early just to be a host. How cool would that be? Gaius was, and he was able to practice hospitality inside the household of God. We see examples of widow women. Look at this in First Timothy chapter number 5 and verse 9 and 10. It speaks about widows would be enrolled if they are 60 years of age, having been the wife of a husband, a reputation for good works, brought up children, has shown hospitality. Here's an opportunity for widows and widowers to look at a lady in Scripture who was willing to show hospitality by refreshing others in her home. Hospitality is not just entertaining. I fear that one reason why we reject being hospitable people is because we look at it as entertainment. It's really not. I read this in a book and I took a clip and I want to read it to you. Entertaining says, I want to impress you with my home. Entertaining says, I want to impress you with my clever decorating, my cooking. But hospitality says, this home is a gift from Jesus and I use it as he desires. Entertaining puts things before people. As soon as I get this house finished, as soon as the living room is decorated, as soon as my house is clean, then I'll start inviting people over. Hospitality puts people first. No furniture? We'll eat on the floor. The decorations may never get done. Come anyway. The house is the best. But you're my friends. I remember when we had that we had that whole, that, that uh, pipe bust in our ceiling. That was the worst thing ever, man. It ruined the whole living room. We had to rip up all the wood. And our house had a gaping hole for 60 days. And I told, I said, honey, either we stop ministering or we just keep on going. She goes, but we have no flooring. I said, who cares? I know you don't love me because of my house. I live on 3rd Street. You think I'm trying to impress you? You've been in my house lately. You've seen my, Lord, my, my bushes, they're dying. <laughs> I wish I had more time for my yard. But people are more important to me than projects. People are more, I like my yard, and I want to be a good steward of it, but not to the point where I'm willing to sacrifice my time with people. I'm simply saying hospitality is such a gift. It's such a gift to the nation, to the city, to the state, to the church, to people, to your neighborhood. And by the way, let me say this. Don't be scared to invite people over because your house is messy. Don't be scared to do that. It's okay. It's okay. I know I've got women all over the building mad at me right now. You're going to get in the car, look at your husband and say, don't you think for a minute pastor was having a moment of, I mean, he's 58, come on, you know, early onset, he's in trouble. No, I'm simply saying sometimes I think we need to put a little less emphasis on our possessions and more emphasis on people. Don't let possessions become a barrier to your relationship with other people. And hospitality is more than just inviting someone to dinner. Hospitality involves opening up and and, and welcoming and accepting. Hospitality is providing a place like a lighthouse, like a lighthouse, a small group, where people can come and share life together and grow in maturity with Jesus. And here's the greatest motivation, the greatest motivation. I hope I've given you some motivation this morning. You know, sometimes that's what preaching is. It's, It's motivation. Sometimes I get called a motivation speaker, you know, and and, and that's fine. I do want to inspire you and motivate you, but sometimes I think we need to get our motivation right, right? Can I give you the greatest motivation I have found for hospitality? It's in the greatest example we have of it, Jesus Christ. In Ephesians chapter 2, verse 12, he says, Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise having no hope this is us church this is us before we met Christ having no hope without God but but now in Christ Jesus here's the motivation you who were once far off you have been brought near by the blood of Christ so then you are no longer slaves no longer aliens you are fellow citizens with the saints members of the household of god paradoxically it was if jesus was holding his hands out as the most inhospitable act was done in in mankind man took his hands nailed them to a cross how inhospitable is that Here's Jesus coming to to save them. And they crucify him. But at the same time, his hands are nailed to that cross. It was as if his hands, his arms were also stretched out. Welcoming us into his family. Saying, I forgive you. You're forgiven. You can become a member of the household of The most inhospitable act became the most hospitable gesture because Jesus Christ on that cross did the most hospitable thing that could ever be done for you and for me. Shed his blood so we could become a part of the family of God. Wow, that's motivation. That's motivation. May you and I today follow the example of Christ and be willing to sacrifice our homes, sacrifice our time. And I want to challenge you today, church. It's the last thing on your notes. Would you, would you maybe this month begin to pray about who you can invite into your home that you don't know, a stranger or someone who you barely know in the church? Have them over for dinner. Be hospitable and, and, and just have a time of fellowship. Maybe, honey, I'll come home and say, guess who's coming to dinner? Who? I'm not really sure but we're about to find out. Guess who's coming to Every head bowed and every eye closed, and with our heads bowed and eyes closed, as we conclude the message, I'm just going to ask you to consider these thoughts this morning about practicing biblical hospitality. Isn't it amazing how often it's mentioned in Scripture? Until I began to study this, I don't think I realized the magnitude of the emphasis of Jesus who came to eat and to drink he came to tear down the walls of hostility and to bring people together that we might be no longer strangers but fellow citizens and members of the household of God if you're here today and you, you've never become a member of the household of God would you join today in making that decision Taylor who was baptized she wasn't made a member of the household of God because of baptism, but she told us this morning in that obedient act of baptism, that ordinance of the church, she told us this morning that she had become a member of the household of God, and she was not ashamed of it. She followed Christ in baptism. If you've never been saved, if you've never truly become a citizen of heaven, today I want to encourage you in a moment as we respond to in this invitation, come forth come come up front, let us pray with you or maybe after the service come see me or Jeremy or someone in the building Kevin, someone you have recognized as a leader and, and we would love to take a moment and share with you the gospel story we've got time we'll be hospitable we want you to know the greatest news ever known and if you're here today and you have received Christ you are a member of God's household would you today join me and praying about what next steps God would have you to take to become a hospitable person in our church, in your family, in the community, at your job. Let's make a difference. Guess who's coming to dinner? Father, I love you. I thank you so much for the opportunity to speak this morning. I never take it for granted. I really so desperately want to help somebody here today through your word, by your spirit. So I pray that you would take everything that's been said and sung and done and may you receive all the honor and the glory. Move now as we respond in this song. May the Lamb of God be lifted high and may we respond in thanksgiving and gratitude for what he's done. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand together, shall we?